for the reading of the word and uh, a prayer following, if you will. First John three eighteen, one verse. Little children, let us not love in word our talk, but in deed and in truth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would be in this word now, in our hearts and our lives, as we break open the word of your truth. Amen. You may be seated. If you look around our world, you'll know this is true, but I kind of see things without God before Christ redeemed us, like humanity is a river going downstream away from God. And the current is the flow of society, culture, fear, lust of the flesh, emotional upheaval, all those kind of things. And I believe when Jesus came, He walked against that current, trying to pull people back upstream to the Father, rather than the stream that was going away from Him. And He was tempted as we were, but He was without sin. We know this. He came into the midst of that river, in my mind, I like picturing it. And he's saying there's living water. You don't have to drink this and be stuck in what's not godly. And those who drank that living water followed him in offering the same kind of water to others still stuck in the flow. Do you like that picture? I kind of like that picture that there's, there's a world that's thirsty and they're drinking from the wrong fountain. And their fountain is dirty and occluded and makes them hard to see. And I really think because of that, even before Christ, but also now, humanity is in trouble. I really believe we're going the wrong direction as a world. And I think we need to talk about our part in the problem and our part in the solution. I think we need to do that this morning. Maybe you're disillusioned with the church. Maybe you think it isn't doing enough of the right things. If so, listen up. There was a time when I didn't think the church was relevant to society. Early in ministry, I believed that the church was more interested in self-preservation than in promoting the gospel. I saw more inward focus than outward. I didn't see the church work that was going on in the world. And at the same time, when I just, you know, in, in church, my dad would say, you don't serve people. The Bible says you serve God. And he was my pastor. So I believed what he said. Oh, I don't need to serve and love people. I just serve God. I never did think, well, uh, doesn't the Bible say love everybody? Do you love them by serving God? Is that how you do that? I never questioned what he said for a long time. I listened to his voice of reason because he logically explained to me why this was true for him. And it made sense to me. But then again, I was young and impressionable. But because of that, it was hard for me to exalt the church. I didn't see much good in it. And his voice crying out to love and serve others as the Scripture teaches, I didn't see it. I wasn't looking and I didn't know how at a young age. I thought it was the job of individual believers acting alone to do that. Thankfully, I've long since learned to turn off my dad's voice and turn on my father's. I've also learned that the church is the best voice 
when it chooses to use it. I believe the church is the best answer to how to change the world for good. I also believe we've got a lot of work to do. More than we have had in past years. And more importantly, I know we need to be doing it. No question in my mind. Rather than watching the world drift further down the river away from godliness. And we're just inundated with how much people are upset when godly things happen and they say it's not right. It's hard to believe that our society and our world has gone that far the other direction. But it has. And Scripture keeps saying it's going to get worse. I hope not. But this week, we're going to examine questions. that Some are in the bulletin. I'm going to ask you a few here. Designed to help you soul search. It's our last message in the soul search series. It's our look outward today at the way you relate to the world, the church, your neighbors, your community, and your region. And to answer those questions, you've got to be aware of how you impact the world around you. Each of us has an impact. Whether it's little or big or medium or whatever size, we all affect people one way or another. Both good and bad. And you may say you have faith. But what you do is your legacy. Are you showing up with grace and love and to serve? Or is your faith dead? I'm going to say that again because there's not another part to that. Are you showing up with grace and love to serve or is your faith dead? Grace and love in service is a living faith. Not doing that is a dead faith. James tells us faith without works is dead. It's kind of a black and white statement, but it's also true. So to have a contagious faith means you've got to be infected first with faith, with belief that God is and is the way and the only truth and Jesus is the reality and your faith does not waver on that. That's a kind of a contagious faith. <laughs> and you've got to be filled with that enthusiastic power of God so people want what you got. They want a contagious Christian around them. They don't want a lukewarm or a cold or one that doesn't consistently say and do the same. That you can't give what you do not have. Wouldn't you agree with that? In Genesis chapter 28, we hear of a story about a man named Jacob. And Jacob is leaving his family to go to his uncle's house and run away from his brother. Along the way, you know the story, most of us have heard it. He falls asleep with a stone for his pillow and he dreams of a ladder. We call it Jacob's ladder, but it's not his ladder. It's just the one he saw. And what he saw as he slept was a ladder extending from heaven to earth and the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. And when he woke up, he said, this is nothing more than the portal to heaven, the door of the kingdom of God. And I did not know it. And there he built an altar and worshiped God at a place called Bethel or Bethel. That story is in Genesis 28. If you want to learn about it, 
But it says, angels at the door of heaven are going up and down on the ladder. And when I was younger, I didn't get this real good, so I'm going to give you a, a, a picture, a visual picture of this. When you have a ladder, and it's uh, leaning against something, or a step ladder, either way, and it says ascending and descending, how's that work? If I'm going up, how can something come down? Do you ever think about that when you heard the story of Jacob's ladders or were you just thinking they were flying up and down the ladder? According to this, they were on the rungs of the ladder going up and down. Do you think maybe this one angel's going up and down, up and down? It says angels, plural. So you got two of them going up and down. Now, how's that going to work? And what are they doing? Listen to this. I got your answer. And John 1.51 gives us a clue. And in this beautiful passage, Jesus is talking to Nathaniel, And He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There they are again, up and down. Jesus says, I'm that ladder Jacob saw. He's in Genesis 28. But... But I don't understand, God. How can angels ascend and descend when only one person can use a ladder going one way at a time? And that, my friends, is the most amazing thing that the book of Hebrews explains and makes clear to us. It says that the angels are ministering spirits to those who are receiving salvation. Listen to this. Picture this. Up in the throne room, God hears you cry for help, for a prayer. And he says, this person needs a touch from one of you. And he looks at the angel and says, go. And it doesn't flap his wings. They don't have those really, not these kind. They're worker angels. These guys got to do some work. So they go out the door of heaven and they come to the portal, look down, and they go down the ladder. But they got to wait until it's cleared off. And then they go down the ladder and they leave the foot of the ladder and they look for you. And they do what God sent them to do and continue to do that work until it's done. When they're done, they go back to the ladder, up, and get the next assignment. That's what he's talking about. That Jesus sends forth the angels. They go through Him, ascending and descending through Him. I don't know if you knew that about that, but when I hear that, that gets me excited because Jesus tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.20, that we are ambassadors for the kingdom of God and are given the ministry of reconciliation to do what He does. That means the work of God is going to come through us out to others who are receiving God's grace. And then we send forth another and report back to God and say, God, here's another one for you. God, what else do you want me to do? I'm ready. And so we become a ladder, a gateway, if you will, between heaven and and earth to that river where people are drowning. We become the one who extends out the work of God. That is the call of God on our hearts. And to do that work is an honor. To be called an ambassador of God, let alone His child, but an ambassador for the kingdom of God, that means where you go, you represent and all the authority of heaven is with you. That's what an ambassador has. 
Our country has ambassadors to other countries. They have all the authority of the president to negotiate. They can't sign the deal, but they have the power to negotiate and to represent everything that we stand for. The only one who signs off on it is the president, and we don't want to sign off on God's work. God does. But we get folks to the right place, to the table, and say, this is what God is all about. This is what He offers. What do you say? And God seals the deal with the Holy Spirit. I kind of simplified that a little bit, but I want you to know that we are a gate doing the work of the Father. In our verse for today, it says we must love with action. And that word truth there is the word reality. We must love in action and in reality. Meaning, we know why we're doing it. And what we're all about. And what our intent is. Your faith requires action. It's all over Scripture. Faith must have works to be a genuine faith. And a genuine faith, get this, seeks to make an impact. An impact for God. In the book, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, it's one of the best-selling books of all time. Do you remember the first line? Did you read it? The first line in that book? Anybody remember what that first line is? It's about your purpose-driven life, how you can find your purpose. The very first line says, it's not about you. Wait a minute. If I'm going to find my purpose, I'm going to see what God's going to do through me to make me great. So I have my purpose. I know how to be great for God and make an impact. I'm going to go out doing that. It's not about me. It's not about what I do. It's about what God does through me. It's not about me. When we go out and do the work of faith, we're not getting the glory. We're trying to glorify our Father in heaven. When we bring someone into the kingdom of God, it isn't they're going, oh, great, look what you did. The angels aren't rejoicing because of what you did. They're rejoicing because a lost soul has come home. And you get to rejoice with them because you're part of the work of God. You didn't redeem them. Jesus Christ did. But you made the impact that got them to the table where God could seal the deal. You understand what I mean? How important faith is to be doing something. But we can be caught up and see ourselves as the main attraction. But could it be true that the starting point of a life of purpose and significance and impact for God is to look beyond and live for something greater than yourself? Is that possible? So ask yourself this question. When's the last time you met a happy, selfish person? They're always worried someone's going to take what they got. And they got to have more because they're never happy with what they have. You ever, you ever heard that old joke? What's the difference between a man with a million dollars and a man who has a million children? A man with a million children says, I got enough. Man with a million dollars still wants more. 
It's very interesting that a lot of people in, in the sports realm who get these big contracts are broke shortly after their career is over because they wanted to live like other people who had a lot of money and they never invested their time or their resources to be faithful. And some of us have not invested our faith and our resources in the kingdom for anything, or we haven't learned how. What impact do we make? What impact do you make? Oswald Sanders, a Christian author, said this sentence. I love this. He says, Any ambition which centers around and terminates upon oneself is unworthy, while an ambition which has the mission of God as its center is not only legitimate, but positively praiseworthy. It's a good statement. I wish I could have come up with it. But I like it. And so it makes me think, how do you serve? How does your faith act? What is your view on missions? I mentioned Oneida Baptist Institute when my wife had gone to it one year and she said, would you like to go? I said, I'm not a Baptist. I don't promote Baptist agenda. I'm not going out there and trying to get Bible schools to get people doing the Baptist thing. And she said, that's not what this is. It's a place where young students from all over the world come to go to school and we paint dorms. We haul trash. We sort clothes. We get to know them. We love on them. And they love on us right back. It's not about anything but service work. And the opportunity to meet students is only at mealtime usually. So it's not working with the kids. It's working with where they live to make their environment better. And what they told us, we were painting some classrooms and, I, and, and they said, you may never see the children that sit in this classroom. And they may never know what made this classroom look nice. And they may not understand how much work it was for you. But you will know you love them. And God will know. And if for some reason that puts in them that they're cared for and that God will bring them up, then you've done something great for another. And you don't have to know who it was that you impacted. You just did the work. And so, for the last three years since uh, 2020, they have not been open for volunteers. And they just told us a month ago that this coming June, they are opening again. And we may be telling you, you don't want to miss this. Because you won't. We, we, uh, you will never find something. I'm not telling you you've got to be a missionary, but I'm telling you this is the best trip you'll ever go on, and it's cheap. It's super cheap compared... If you ever heard of the mission trips, people go on thousands and thousands of dollars. You hear the price of this one, you'll go, well, what's that include? Everything. Everything. And it's very, very, very inexpensive. But more so, what happens is a group of people that go bond together because I put together lessons and ways to interact with people in our group and on campus that will change you forever. And it's a lot of fun. And you'll never forget it. So if you, that comes around and you say, I don't know. Let me tell you, if you can fold clothes, you can do mission work. If you can push a broom, you can do mission work. 
If you can sit there and do crafts, you can do mission work. It's not difficult. And they match everything with what you do. Why am I saying this? Because if you don't go, you need to send somebody. Because mission work is crucial to the life of the kingdom. Because if you can't go, then send someone who will. That's basically the call of God is go or send. So how do you want to impact the world? By sending or going? Contributing one way or another. I don't see a middle ground. Maybe both. But not neither. So if you were to impact the world, what would you like to change? Some people say, I'd like to change my wife's mind or my husband's mind. Get them to do this or get them to do that. That's not what I'm talking about. All I know it's a nice ambition for you, but that it's not about you, is it? What things do you want to do? Maybe you thought of some things, but you think you can't because of limited resources or people. Maybe your ideas are bigger than what you think can get done. And you don't want to talk about them because you think, well, this is impossible. God loves doing the impossible. So maybe, maybe you can do that. Share that. But where do you serve? And what do you do when you serve? What is the impact that you have there? What's your legacy going to be when you're done doing that? I got to tell you something. You may not know this, but we're still breathing. We are. COVID tried to stop that, but we're still breathing. And that means our job here isn't done yet. Our legacies are still being written. The legacy of new liberty is still being written. God's not done with us. That means we still have impact God is asking us to have in the world around us. Faith serves or it isn't faith. It serves others. That's how you serve God. My dad was right. You serve God, but you do it by serving others. He forgot that half. But my Heavenly Father showed me that half. i got to tell you something why this is important. Because the river won't stop flowing away from God. And the God ungodliness in this world is going to keep getting worse. So my question is this. Are you willing to serve others who may not appreciate that you're doing it? Because there's going to be people you help or try to help and they're not going to be, oh, thank you. They may resent you. They may be people who use you and take advantage of your kindness. Are you still willing to serve? Are you a person who says this? I'm going to go to that river because God's given me living water and I know what it was like to be redeemed out of that. And I'm going to raid that river of the people who are in it and get them out of there and raid the devil's tools out of there. I'm going to be a river raider. I want to do that. That'll be my impact. If I can get just one. How about this? How about if I can just get the next one? The next one. Because once you get one, you don't want to stop. 
The goal shouldn't be one. It should be the next one. But start with one. Where's your heart broken for those around you in this world who are hurting, desperate, and don't have faith or hope? Your answers to these questions today will reveal the true nature of your faith. Seriously. Your answer to these questions are going to tell you what kind of faith you have in talk or in doing. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank You that You love us completely. You didn't just love us. You you acted. You sent Your Son and gave His life on Calvary that we could be redeemed from the brokenness and the damage that that river is showing forth. And I ask God this morning that You would lift us up, that You would pull us out of the brokenness of the world around us, but that we would go back in with a clear vision of how to make an impact in those lives that they might say there's got to be something better. For Heavenly Father, there is none better than than that but You. And You're the only way out. And so I ask You to give us courage to see where we're making impacts and how. And how we might do that in greater measures for You. I pray this, Lord, and I give You thanks that You're more than able to do all that we've asked or request. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.